I was thinking about when I first started to notice other people's opinion of me. And I thought maybe that was the beginning of my demise, my self-demise, my self-destruction, self-negative, all kinds of stuff. And then I started to think about when did that happen that I became aware of other people's opinions. And, you know, I go over this timeline, like, well, I don't remember being like that in high school. I didn't really remember being like that in the military. And that was until 2003. Oh no, I got in at 2003, got out 2014. And then that was when I started grad school. So then I started to think, did this happen? Did this start to happen in grad school? So there was a little bit of overlap from the time I got my surge I had my surgery to get my thyroid removed and the military exit. So there's a little bit of overlap. And Was this it? <laughs> I remember feeling so anxious and depressed after those surgeries. Was that it? Something I remembered was while in grad school at Pitt, I was learning so much. I was being educated and becoming aware of a lot of the issues in our country, in the world. And Became to know myself better in this negative light. And so I started to wonder, what is that when I became aware of other people's opinions of me? It was sometime in 2013 or 14, or 15 even, that this started to happen. Maybe even it was 2015. I remember feeling like such an adult there. I had found a place to live. And I remember actually the day, the day I was leaving for Pittsburgh with my ex-husband and we packed up the U-Haul and I said, I don't want you to come with me. I want to do this without you. Or something along those lines. And he was like, what? You're going to do this right now? He's like, what are you talking about? And I mean, it wasn't our first 
major about to be separated kind of conversation. But I remember that because I remember looking. Actually, I was looking at places in Pittsburgh on my own because I, I think I had an appointment or something at the VA. And the first place I looked at was with a young lady who was going to Chatham. And she was going to hook me up with a job and I was going to live with her. It was a two-bedroom apartment, but I was just introducing myself as it's just me getting this apartment because I was planning on leaving my ex-husband husband at that time I was planning on leaving my husband at that time and so when I would speak with her it was like I was doing this on my own it was my plan it was a cute place great location good price and she was really friendly well, then I start driving around, driving around different neighborhoods. And I see this house as the little for rent by owner kind of thing. And I immediately pull down the road. I call them. I think I even got to look at it right away. And because of the, the owner owners had his stepdaughter or his partner's daughter and his she was living in that house so it was, I remember it was easy to take a look at it but when I was looking at that place I knew that place was for me and Shaner that was going to be our place. So I was a little bit torn. And then I said that to him when we were packing to go. Because I think that's what I really wanted. And well, I ended up filing for the divorce seven months later, maybe anyway. So <clears throat> I guess it ended up happening. That is what I wanted. That is what I wanted. And I did it. And it doesn't mean it was easy. And was that when I started to notice people's opinions of me? That divorce, filing for that divorce and him moving out and sometimes wanting him to fight for me, even though I pushed him away so many times. Because I thought that was what was best. Because at that time, that was easier for me than trying to stay with him. I think because I wanted to start a new chapter. I wanted to start grad school. Get out of the military. Move to a new city. And I did. I did all that. But I really think divorce is really tearing people apart. I mean, it is. 
tearing people apart. So that's not what I wanted to say. I wanted to say divorce is very difficult. And I would never want anyone to have to go through it. So please, please love yourself. Then learn to love someone else. Because the level of love frequency will be so high since you knew how to love yourself first. Let's all do that. Because if not, if you want to stay in that relationship, marriage, partnership, whatever you have, multiple partnerships, multiple partnerships, multiple partnership. Yeah. If you do have that, you're really going to be working on each other. Well, no, I think I meant to say if you really love each other, then that's going to be so much smoother. So beautiful. And if you go into it not loving each other, the risk of divorce is certainly more likely. It's certainly higher. The risk is certainly higher and it's more likely to actually happen and not just be think, thought about and deliberated and because this person becomes your other half. You unite. Especially, well, once you have sex, that's one. But you will unite with this person, especially when you have children with them. And that, that my friend, deserves such a strong bond. For each of you and for your child or children. Separations, divorces. Imagine you're losing your other half. You're literally being ripped open. It's like, where were you connected? Was it at the hip? Was it you're both facing each other? Was it your backs were, each other, were to each other? Well, maybe if your backs were facing each other and that's how the bond was, you start to have your back pain and all that. And maybe if you're connected at the front, that's where you have all kinds of problems. Organs, your heart hurts, your head hurts, you're anxious, you're depressed. Maybe if you're connected at the back, it's more physical pain. But maybe if you're connected at the front, it's more all kinds of pain. Emotional and physical pain. Mental pain. And if you're connected at the side, maybe you don't have as much pain. 
If you decided to separate and you were connected at the side, maybe that means you were a team. You walked together. So if you have to say goodbye, maybe one of you passed away. Maybe one just got a job in another place. Maybe one just wanted to move back with family. Or maybe you just decided to do something different. You wanted to go live somewhere else or just be with other people. That seems healthy. Those of us that are connected at the back or the front, especially the front, we really did love each other. But it was difficult. And until two people who already had issues with love get together, start working on themselves, It's going to be challenging, so challenging. So going back to grad school, I realized that they were teaching me and educating me on my defectiveness. That's how it felt. I remember going through some exercise with two or three people in the group setting in class and I remember I just started crying. It was something about depression. I just started crying. I ran to the bathroom cried, cried it out, let myself feel it, oh, and I remember another time I was sitting in class, and it was the day my divorce was finalized, and I just got off the phone with my ex-husband, my freshly ex-husband, freshly newly ex-husband, fresh and new, newly and fresh, ex-husband and he told me it was finalized I got off the phone with him and I felt so sad and I walked into class and this was my favorite professor and I sat there in class and started crying maybe it was 30 minutes in I'm not sure but I started crying and but they were silent tears. I had tears rolling down my face in the middle of class at the front row at the corner or second in from the corner maybe. And I'm just crying. And I thought the teacher, the professor noticed and I thought maybe the kid two seats away from me noticed. And the teacher, the professor called a break and she never ever gave us a break in class so I think she did that for me 
And I want to say thank you. I just realized. I never thanked her for that. Thank you. Thank you. So I went out into the hall. Right around the corner. Took two rights. And I was in the stairway. And I just cried. I just cried and I sobbed. Just let it out. I let it out. And then I went back to class. And maybe divorce is when I started noticing other people's opinions of me. And you know, maybe it's different for everyone. Obviously not everyone goes through a divorce and some people experience this this thing of, of being aware that other people are thinking about you and have an opinion of you. But for me, I think it was around this time. It was all these life transitions at the same time. I was moving to a big city, starting grad school, getting out of the military, and then within seven months filing for a divorce. Within seven months of starting grad school. Within five months of getting out of the military. Within seven months of moving to a new city. It was so much all at once. Wow. And starting to see other people almost instantly after he moved out. I craved love so much. Just craved it. Craved attention and physical closeness and a bond, a special bond. And you know, him and I did have a special bond. Of course we did. We were together almost 10 years and married for about nine. Well, over nine, I think. Married almost 10. Something like that. But anyway, of course we had a bond. I think I really wanted him to try to work on himself. It would have made it worth it for me, you know? <clears throat> it would have made it worth it for me to stay if I knew he was trying. And I know he did try. I remember one time he told me that he wanted to make a book on life guide. On a guide to life. Because he said he didn't know how to do it. He was trying. You know, he really did try. He really did try. said that to me <clears throat> but I couldn't tell any other moments where he was trying and that's why I didn't want to stay anymore and I think that's okay I think it was healthy for me to go even though it was traumatizing Traumatizing the word. <clears throat> it was dissecting. It was vulnerable. It left me vulnerable. 
that yeah and then in grad school learning all this stuff about the way children are raised and people in jail in the u.s and how much money we spend on that and how other countries do it and they do it so much better jail in the sense that we have it in the term we have it in the term and the way we use it here is so different i don't think other countries even use that word jail here means isolation it means reputation it means mental illness it means poverty it means racial injustice it means people me making a lot of money off of other people's offenses someone was offended someone was offended so they had to go into the box Jail, in other countries, if they even use the word, means something totally different in lots of countries. Like putting people in an apartment and helping them with perhaps their education, perhaps cooking, perhaps life skills. It's productive. It's loving to treat people that way. Let's do that. And then I learned about, let's see. Well, before it was Seattle, I think they were the first, they were the pioneers. It could have been Portland, but I, th I, think, it's, I think I'm right that it's Seattle that started the the program where <clears throat> they don't incarcerate people for drugs. They actually give them needles. And I first heard about that in grad school and I was like, I mean, this was 2014, 15, into 16, but I think I learned about this more in the beginning. It's probably 2014. It wasn't long, I think, after it started. And I was blown away by this concept of treating people like this. Like, wow telling me authority figures are handing people needles so that they don't die so they don't have to go to jail they're not handing them so they can go to the jail but they're participating in this addiction so they can perhaps help people and I think it's all about making people feel loved I think that's the intention hey I don't want you to die I don't want you to go to jail but here's some clean needles where you can take care of your fix. And perhaps if they did that enough to the same people over and over, they would start to love themselves too. Perhaps that was what it was about. At least that's what I thought. Because to me, when I heard about this, it, it feels so loving 
to be open to someone like that and want to help them in the best possible way you can without disturbing the little bit of stability they may have, which is having needles injected into their veins every day. Maybe that's the only stability they've been able to find. So no one wanted to fuck with that. They wanted them to come to terms with when they were ready to heal. And that is love. And the Housing First programs, same same kind of thing, open. We don't care what kind of drugs you may be using, what you're up to. We want to improve your mental health. Let us find a place for you to live. We will put you in a house first and then we'll help you. So you at least have that stability. Because although drugs can be stable for some people, it's not a healthy stability as a home would be. So the goal is to make the things that the person are stable upon Are things that are actually stable. Like a shelter. Which is necessary. While drugs are not necessary, they may help in times of severe mental illness. Wanting to escape. Wanting to feel okay. Wanting to feel happy. Wanting something so different than what currently is. They might do that. But a home, shelter, Provides so much more happiness. A place to love from. And another thing I learned was the one that stuck out to me when I was starting to think about when did I learn about people opinions of me until I first noticed that and I was talking about my defectiveness awareness my self-defectiveness awareness my self-awareness of my defectiveness and there's this thing called adverse childhood experiences and There were 10 things on the worksheet that were considered to be adverse childhood experiences. And you get one point. Hooray, points are supposed to be fun for everyone you check. And I checked 9 out of 10. So I had a 90%. Yay. Almost an A plus. I think that's an A minus though. On 
the worksheet about adverse childhood experiences. And you know, I don't believe I shared it with anyone. Maybe the teacher, the professor, didn't even have us do it in class. We went home to do it, or I'm not sure how that worked because I certainly wouldn't have filled that out in front of a bunch of people. But then coming to terms with, am I defective? Why do I have such a high score on this thing? High scores are supposed to be a good thing anyway. Maybe we need to figure out how to keep things different. How to keep things straight. Like, I don't say straight. I don't like that. It sounds like we're going to keep things heterosexual. Keep things straight. No. How to keep things... apparent as in if you have a high score that's a positive thing or if you have a negative a lower score that's a negative thing or whatever but maybe maybe it's not even that maybe it's not even that we should be using the the score method in education systems because is it even helpful like this is a perfect example like oh i got a nine out of ten or oh the percentage is a 90. It's like percentages are not helpful at all, you can see. Anyway, the point I was trying to make was when I was confronted with this list and what did it mean? And, you know, there's all these things that kind of come along with, well, if you have a high number, if you have a number between this and this, this might happen. If you have a number between this and this, this might happen. If you have a number between this and this, this might happen. And then on and on for, I don't know, there's a couple a couple ranges. And then seeing what the high score symbolizes or predicts. I mean, wow. And then I start to think like, how did I get here? How did I do this? I feel like I'm going to I'm going to pat myself on the shoulder now. Oh heck yeah. Or the back shoulder right now it's easier. Because of what looks to be successful and the likelihood of it ever happening for me in my life based on my childhood. I mean, I think that stuff's not helpful. Because you keep categorizing people and putting them in these little brackets and ranges and descriptions and predictions. And it's like, when I read that, I think it just kind of messed me up. I mean, who wants to be confronted with the fact that, yeah, your childhood was kind of fucked up. It was fucked up. I mean, no one... And I don't think that means we shouldn't be aware of kind of what's better behavior and not as better behavior. That's the most positive way I can put it. It's so great to be aware, but it doesn't have to be painted as this was horrible if this happened to you. And this is probably how you're going to end up. It doesn't have to be painted like that. What if it was just like, this is one type of experience and this is another type of experience. I think when people realize and they're aware also 
not just about people having opinions of them and getting all wrapped up in that, but also when you're aware that something might have been wrong, someone has wronged you, you automatically feel anger, sadness, defeat, fear, hatred. I mean, none of those things are good. Happiness is better than all of them. And if we would look at things in a way that was just an observance, it was just observing, it was just being open, just being open about this is how this is. This is what has happened. This is fact, not making observations and analyses about what it means and what might happen because of what it might mean. I think those interpretations are very damaging. Because think instead, if you were just an observer, which is what we all are, by the way. I want to finish that book now. I'm reading so many books right now, most of them self-help. And the one I really would love to finish, The Untethered Soul. Highly, highly recommend. One of the best books I ever written. I ever, I ever read love to write a book someday maybe maybe because this is not actually getting to my point my point i don't want to think like that my point is actually maybe we don't need to read anything because it just leaves us thinking in the terms and perspective and the angle and the lens of someone else's perspective our perspective shifts into someone else's perspective So what if we just came up with our own loving perspective and just made up observations like this book I just was talking about? It was so eye-opening thinking that we're just observers. We're just here to observe. We are the one who watches. It says something like that in the book. When we start to dive into what could have been wrong, what was wrong, you're wrong, wrongness. That's a slippery slope into a dark place because wrongness wrongness wrong 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 wrongness doesn't exist
everyone's just trying to heal and live their life, get through the day, get through a moment. There's no wrongness. There's just better and not as better. But almost better. Because people are trying. And what a realization. Coming to terms. Becoming aware. Noticing. That whenever I noticed people had other opinions of me, had an opinion of me at all, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when I noticed, actually, because even if it was because of being aware of, of wrongness and injustifications and injustices, and whenever we... aware it doesn't it doesn't matter when it became aware maybe whenever we become aware is when we first realize we need help and maybe that is the good thing about becoming aware when you do become aware that's when you realize and you become aware of your own not as better features that's what Thomas and I say. We have not issues. We have features. Sounds so much better. <laughs> so whenever we come aware, we become aware and can start working on ourselves, that is fantastic. And that is the purpose of becoming aware. Because other than that, the goal is just to get back to where you were before you became aware, but now knowing all of the things that make you better and being that person with that awareness. So you become your best self and you are aware that you are your best self. And you only get there when your mind is clear. So let's all meditate. Take time each day. Meditate on becoming your best self. What can you learn today about yourself, about the world, about a stranger? What can you learn about yourself? What can you learn about being a better yourself, a better you? We all can learn something every day. So let's meditate on that. Let's meditate 
on being loving beings. Notice how people are becoming better and the ones that are not as better are trying to be better. Notice people trying. Notice people's efforts. Let's notice. Let's notice people's eyes. Look people in the eye. Really look people in the eye in a soft, loving way. Notice them. Let's meditate on opening our hearts. Letting ourselves out to share and letting people in to share. Sharing. Let's share. Let's meditate on our true selves and being ourselves. Being ourselves truly. meditate on that. Being our authentic selves. Authenticity. Let's meditate. feeling at peace in all places feeling at peace within ourselves first and foremost feeling love within ourselves Sharing that love we feel within ourselves, with the world, with humanity, with universe, with Mother Nature, with everything, everyone, everywhere. Sharing that love. Sharing love. Love. Let's meditate on knowing 
that we do our best every single day. We do our best. We do the best we're able to do. And let's meditate on doing better each day. Each and every day, every moment. Better. Namaste. Namaste.